So for any problem statement or project a data scientist wants to do, there are like three major components. So the first is the business and the data to able to properly define, okay, what is the business objective? Today we have someone who is passionate for data and mathematics, which is well shown by both his Sudoku and data science skills. He goes by the name Vopani and is considered the best Sudoku solver in India. Also, his journey is a road model for all data science aspirants. Welcome, Rohan, to this co-learning launch podcast. Thanks, Kunal. Happy to be here. Ron, so we wanted to start with how you got recruited. You said you have attracted by showcasing your work through LinkedIn, GitHub, Kaggle competitions and hackathons, analytics with you and all of those things. And this is typically something that we recommend to a lot of data science aspirants. Go ahead, build projects and do all of that. So how did you start in participating in Kaggle competition? What preparation did you have to uh, do to rank on the leaderboard? So let me take that as two questions. Let me start with the recruitment piece. So for me, if you look at my education background, I've primarily studied statistics. So I come from the background of maths and stats, and I really had absolutely no coding experience. So there's this very popular joke, and it's a true fact. So when I finished my master's from IIT Bombay, someone asked me, what do you think about Python? And I said, yeah, it's a cool snake. I I really did not know how to code. So I was a little fortunate that uh, through IIT placements, I got a role in a data science uh, consultancy startup. And uh, that's where my journey began in data science. So as part of the, the work that I was doing in the company, in general, I just wanted to learn as many things as possible about the field. And I had a boss and a mentor in the company who I was very fortunate to have uh, him. And he exposed me to Kaggle as a platform. And the moment I got onto Kaggle, I saw there is so much of interesting ideas, discussions, competitions, so much of like just analysis, modeling, think about anything in machine learning. And it was all there and absolutely free and open for everyone. So I just decided. Okay, this is what you know. I want to do. I want to focus. And uh, since then, I've just like spent, I know some insane number of <laughs> hours and effort, yeah, on the platform. And uh, I think it's significantly helped me uh, grow in the field. Right. Now, now since I right from the beginning of my career was in data science, I've also seen and I've also recruited people who don't have that kind of education background. And the one thing probably uh, that I find most effective and impactful is uh, if you have done some sort of open source projects or any even personal projects of your own in in this field, just showing and putting it out there, saying that, uh, hey, you know what, irrespective of my sort of background or my past experience, I'm really interested in, you know, data science as a field. And I've put in effort on my own. I've done these competitions, uh, whatever, maybe a couple of them you've ranked well, you can showcase it, you can share your solutions, you can write good notebooks, you can open source some of your code on GitHub. So there's there's a lot of things, a lot of tools, a lot of facilities now that you can use to actually showcase all of this. And I think that adds up and uh, it helps in the overall uh, recruitment in the field. 
Absolutely. And so like you mentioned that when you entered the competition, right, there was a lot of things to do. And if you had to just, I speak to a lot of data science aspirants, you know, okay, I went to Kaggle. Now the Kaggle competitions are increasingly difficult, getting difficult and data intensive also. But when you entered the thing, like how did you focus or structure the approach to doing things at Kaggle? I see a lot of people, they, they go try something out and then leave. Right. But I'm sure there's some process that helped you, keep, you know, continuously be on the platform and keep going. So how did you do that? Yeah, so I would say it's important to, it's important to grow in small pieces, right? Obviously now the platform is so much more extensive than Before. what it was, right? A few years back, you mentioned, yes, yes, yes. there is, there is just so much to do so much available. So it's important to focus and, uh, prioritize and choose things that you really want to learn and do well. So for example, let's say you really want to write a good notebook, right? So spend three months, four months, just optimizing and understanding what it takes for you to write a really good notebook, put it out there and get some sort of call it words or appreciation or anything. So these are these small sort of milestones or goals that you can have. And as and when you achieve them, then you aim for more things, aim for bigger things. Right. right. And uh, obviously I haven't had that experience because during my time there was, there was no, like there were no data, there were no kernels, there were no data sets. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, but now I think that's, that's like a decent starting strategy to have for any sort of new folks getting into the platform. So basically have some micro goals, even if you're not able to solve problems, start with writing notebooks, get a hang of how the entire notebooks work and then have some micro goals, try to upload some data sets, have this my micro goals and keep them consistently keep going on. Okay. Yes. So, ups, uh, thanks. Thanks, Rohan. So now as, as I'm also curious to know, like what about your, uh, some of the earliest competitions that you did see, click, predict, fix. And as a beginner, yes, you can build a model or you can write, let's say Xiboost and put a solution up, but there, there goes from that first base model that you build, or let's say some algorithm that you pick up as a base from mm -hmm. there to taking it to the rank top 10, there is a lot of uh, things that happen. So how? What's that gap that you discovered while you're solving the first problem and then you then suddenly are ranking in top 10? I think more than discovery is just reading about what so many other people are doing because no matter who you are in your first competition, you're never going to be on top. So you need to understand and know that, okay, there are these 10 things or 20 things that I don't know. But this is what it takes to move up the ranks. And then you start exploring them in detail. Just to maybe name a few, I think the, the real focus for me during my first few competitions was just pure feature engineering. So one of the things I really loved doing was to have a single model as my top solution. Like how much can you really squeeze out of just one single model? doing as much of feature engineering as possible. So I think a lot of people very soon and very, very early get into ensembling and let's say hyperparameter tuning and so on. But for me, what I really started with and focused a lot during my initial years was trying to come up with 
as many different kinds of features that like uh, the model understands and squeezing the most out of the data. And uh, I think that significantly helped me understand a lot of different things, different kinds of features go with different models. So you need to explore and understand how they come together and, and why different features in different models on different data sets and automatically you start getting that intuition, which sort of helps in, you know, future competitions. So that's, that'd be my sort of approach in the really early competitions. It's like Bruce Lee saying, if you have to do one thing, one kick, do one kick right really well. And that will be like, take a model, squeeze the best out of it by creating as many features as you can. And then that's your base uh, that you can then try to move up the ladder. Thanks yeah. Rohan for the, for the, uh, Inside. Okay, just coming to the, just referring back to the previous point that I mentioned where Kaggle is becoming more data intensive now. And basically, you have to handle a lot of bigger data. So, how should I basically, or data aspirants, be preparing for such computational power, right? Like it previously you could run algorithms wait for a certain seed, but here you do something, you have you have lost hours of computational run and that you're figuring out what to do. So in this scenario, how does the game change? Yeah. So I think over the years, computational resources has significantly changed. You know, even when I started, I used to do 90% of the things just on my laptop, but obviously now that is not feasible, but even the environment and the platform has changed, right? So there are a lot of opportunities and free resources available. So even if you look at, let's say the most uh, popular one, let's say Kaggle notebooks, if you really go deep and uh, think about what they offer, you are allowed to run 10 Kaggle notebooks concurrently in parallel on CPUs. And I think two on GPUs and maybe one or two on TPUs. And you have about 30 to 40 hours of these resources every week. And honestly, according to me, this is more than enough for, you know, any Kaggler to do significantly amount of work, maybe not, let's say top five, top 10. Uh, but I think if you properly optimize all these resources, write really good and optimized code. So I think <laughs> I speak, I've spoken to a lot of people and friends and all. So I find a lot of the newer people coming into this, into the field. They are already exposed to so much of resources, yeah. so they tend to, you know, just have that hunger for more rather than saying that, okay, I have 16 GB RAM. Can I optimize my code? Can I like build a very efficient pipeline to, you know, just do it in this, right. which I think a lot of the uh, early calculators were forced to do, right? Because we, there were no kernels, no notebooks. It was all on our laptops yeah. or you know, if you really have access to computational resources, then obviously you can do that. But for, even for me as part of my first job, and I was just getting into the field, I just had a laptop. So <laughs> it really forces you to think in that direction, that perspective. So I think that's a little lacking these days. Yeah. Apply deep learning for whatever things you can. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't, yeah. Correct. 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 It doesn't always need to be very intensive and very heavy. Correct. Okay. okay. So thanks for that. So you heard Rohan, basically you, you have all what you need within the Kaggle platform to be 
actually using it properly and then doing at least some amount of work me- meaningful work on the platform itself so it is it is possible and uh, you just need to like just take a step back not use all the heavy al- algorithm just take your weekly resources use them well and keep going right patience is one thing that you'll have to be building and often it is relatable to some of the work environments that we typically get in like you you are crunched off of resources uh, if you're especially beginning beginning in, in some company you don't have everything on your plate and so this basically trains you for that scenario as well cool. yeah if I, let me uh, stress on that one because i think that's a really good point now because when you are working like in a company setup you don't really have access to infinite resources and on like you have let's say on kaggle and collab and very often you are forced to really build it in <laughs> it's usually a small server or a small setup yes so it's it really helps uh, in the industry when we were uh, you know I, i began as a, in a training institute and so mm-hmm. all of the trainers there used to have just one server there and if one algorithm is running it's going to be running for 12 hours or 13 hours and then others have to just wait <laughs> okay now one thing that you particularly do well rohan is writing art, the the kernels very well and you you've written a lot of kernels things like uh, importing large data sets through data table and so many other things that you have written right so there is a lot of work that goes into writing these uh, kernels and there is some structure involved to it so if you had to like begin writing one kernel and you're just staring at one new thing that you uh, that you have so what goes in your mind like how do you structure it broadly and then how do you fill the content like just briefly can you give us like the whole process of writing a kernel sure so um, so i think my preference to kernels has been let's call it notebooks so my preference to writing notebooks has been little different from i think a lot of the top notebook writers out there in terms of i think a lot of them are just eda and exploratory notebooks whereas uh, i think almost all of my uh, probably at least 12 or 13 of my 15 notebooks either they are model based or utility based or uh, yeah primarily it's models or utilities or just maybe some tutorials so in general i think what has worked for me has been really understanding what a reader would like to read and the definition of a reader can be very wide right because you have people all across the world of different levels of knowledge of data science coming to the notebooks and reading it so if you write something that's very simple bland and basic it only caters to let's say newbies if you write something that's very technical it just gets like too complicated for majority of kagglers so doesn't really garner too many views and engagement so i think the the important thing of writing any notebook is to see whether you can structure it and have enough components in it which helps uh, newcomers helps intermediate folks as well as helps experts so it's have something in the notebook that uh, every kagler you think would take back with them like irrespective of their background and their sort of skill sets so that's been my motivation and my approach and then obviously based on what exactly you're writing about 
you try to think about okay what can i write you know about the beginners what can i write about the other folks and try to get it together so that's been my general approach and uh, i think to a, to a good extent it's worked absolutely and sometimes uh, you get into this loop where you're seeing a lot of people are just copy pasting changing the things here and there but i but i see some of your articles like i have something to take away you said now when you're saying it it resonates with me because i know some of the initial sections are like i've i've done it but when i go down i know i have to look for some of these sections so that i can use and leverage and understand things thanks for that rohan now another thing that i want to know is let's say do you plan for a new competition coming in and then you write a notebook and then is there some early advantage you get if being one of the first notebook uh, uh, creators for that particular competition and these things competitions generally don't come out announce you so you, you have to take time and then sit down and ride that wave of it so how do you plan for all of these things yeah i think it 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 little relates to the the objective or the intent of uh, why you want to write a notebook it's for example if you want to write a notebook that really explores the data in detail then it's in your advantage to write it at the beginning because it would generally catch the eye of more people right so there would be people uh, who are active at the beginning of a competition there would be other folks during the middle and there would be folks towards the end so like an exploratory kind of notebook helps throughout if you are writing let's say a tutorial based notebook it really doesn't matter right so even the i think i have a couple of tutorials and they are really independent of the the sort of data sets or the competition right i could have posted it at any point in time and uh, it just sort of describes something in general in data science right so there it's just really about writing good content uh whereas if you are want to write let's say a model based notebook then you have to uh, you know align it with how the competition is moving so generally models that are either very high scoring or models which are very different and new in nature they tend to garner better votes and so the intent is really important and then you align it with uh, how best do you want to do it with competitions or do you want to do it outside competitions sometimes maybe you have a really good idea and there's no competition for you to apply it on then it's basically going back finding like a good data set and uh, sharing the notebook on the data sets itself right so you can even do it outside competitions Absolutely. but i think the single most point to focus and put on is to put good quality <laughs> you know content out there and uh, it's good to write things from scratch absolutely and and you get a the speed of writing any documentation or creating a presentation or doing a this thing right like it starts builds you up for doing that much more quicker and quicker maybe initially it will be slow but as you keep doing it will become a little faster yes yes in fact i very clearly remember the first serious uh, notebook that i wrote which was uh, sometime last year it would have taken me i think almost an entire day okay. but now if i really go and write a notebook probably just about 3 or 4 hours i can really like write a equally good book so i think over time i think with anyone it is just about practice and getting used to how to write what works understanding lot of the nitty gritties so it just mm-hmm. helps and as you say you you get better and you get faster at it absolutely ron 
I wanted to switch gear to now Kaggle part. Yes, we bought it, but your other super skill is that you can also build end-to-end ML products. And for someone who's did not did not know coding, now can build an end-to-end ML product, right? So can can you give us some broad framework for identifying the problem statement, then deploying it to server? Uh, this is so that the community can think from an end-to-end perspective what goes into sort of building an end-to-end ML uh, product. So for any problem statement or project that a data scientist wants to do, in my head, there are like three major components. So the first is the business and the data. Right? To, to able to properly define, okay, what is the business objective of the problem you're trying to solve and what kind of data is available and really understanding that sort of in detail. Now, let's say on Kaggle, you have the data sets readily given to you. But if you're working on a project in your free time or on your own, and very often in the industry or if you're working in a company, you don't really have the data ready-made given to you. So you have to spend you know time and understanding, okay, what's the structure of the data set that's required? How do I get it? Do I even have it or not? Right? So these are the things that you really need to think of and answer right at the beginning of any project. The second part is the exploratory stuff and the modeling and the analysis and the insights and so on. So this is something that uh, I think a lot of people get from these hackathons and Kaggle competitions. And uh, even in the company, this is something that I think most folks enjoy doing. And uh, this is like the heart and the core uh, of, of, of the field of data science. And the third very important piece which is the most probably underrated aspect of these projects is the deployment and the productionizing part. Right. Yeah. Right? And uh, for whatever reason, unfortunately, uh, I think a lot of folks don't get this experience very easily. So I think most folks get this only while working, let's say in a company or working on a project which is for a customer or for a client. Right? You don't really need to do it for competitions and hackathons, but it is uh, tremendously important. And there are open source libraries, methods, tools available for you to do it. And, uh, but I I think a lot of people don't very strongly recommend and suggest that understand how do you deploy and productionize any model, right? So there are, there are ways. So there's fast API, there is, there's flask, there are there are different, there are some data apps, there are some other libraries available, right? So there are multiple ways and while different ways uh, work for different use cases, it's sort of important to at least know that, okay, this is required, this is important mm-hmm. and uh, this is how it works. And that that really gets you that, you know, the end to end, right? From yes. data to model to production. So when I was saying this funnily, I was thinking of one of the first use cases we tried to crack to launch on this thing, right? So we had this this scoring engine, uh, and then we had on the other side there was uh, something called as Adapa, something like that, where we where the algorithm sits. And the challenge for us was to basically first score it, and then to run it through a tree uh, of conditions, and then serve it the end to the end user bases their criteria, their caps, and all of that thing. And and if you had to if you had to look at the modeling part that was like the easiest part but to get it to the end user where he's sitting on his laptop and just looking at his queue 
to get three lines of three cases so that he can use it that was like the most painful work we had to do but now it's it's becoming <laughs> a lot easier and, uh, and yes thanks for the walk through of uh, this entire process ron now in the entire process the end to end what is the most complex part and like how do you overcome in your perspective i would say the most complex part is the third piece which is the productionizing and the deployment part because even there have been surveys and lot of reports have come out that i think a majority of machine learning projects uh, fail at production mm-hmm. and uh, so there, there are a lot of aspects and stakeholders involved right and i think uh, the the sort of key thing is understanding the engineering part of it because so very often when you think of like models and especially if you think of let's say kaggle solutions and all they take like days to run sometimes like weeks to run and you really cannot have that let's say if your production system requires models to be updated let's say every few hours or if you want let's say real time predictions where you are giving the inputs you want the outputs like in 3 seconds yeah so to really understand uh, these systems and how these sort of pipelines work it's really important to understand the engineering aspect of it depending on let's say company to company and maybe even tech stack to tech stack sometimes you would have let's say dedicated you know engineering teams whom you could sit with and understand and build it together but sometimes you have to the, the sort of data science team has to take ownership of it and figure out how the pipeline works right. it's not the most enjoyable work for a data scientist but remember that if this is not built well and correctly your project is going to fail your work will never see the so yeah this according to me is uh, the sort of uh, most critical piece out of the three right and obviously if you don't do any of these aspects like the customer experience suffer and then you feel terrible about like your work being good but again like due to these challenges your you know work is not seen in the best way that it possibly could be shown yeah okay so one more interesting thing i wanted to ask um, here is that you spent a lot of time doing feature engineering research and you still mentioned that all data scientists have to master the data cleaning and preparation and that's one one part of it is obviously feature engineering like you've cleaned the data missing data all of that thing is done well but there's that one piece feature engineering which helps to improve the accuracy and so what are some of your like say top 3 or top 4 or 5 tricks that you typically know that these things will work no matter which given problem statement Yeah so unfortunately there is no you know consistent sort of trick or set of features that always work i have also spoken about this with a lot of folks and so i think the real important thing is in understanding what kind of feature engineering will work on what kind of data set for what kind of model so j- just to quickly repeat it's what kind of feature engineering on what kind of data set or problem statement and uh, with which model so the kind of features that you build let's say for a linear model is different from what you would build let's say for a boosting model and it could be different from what you build let's say for a deep learning model right having that understanding is like really more important than let's say having a set of top 5 tricks that sort of always work and i think 
that really helps you in extrapolating the concept of feature engineering to any data set and any problem statement that you get, whether it's on Kaggle or whether it's in your company work or whether it's in your personal projects, right? You really understand what to do. You know what to do. So that's my answer to how and why I feel a feature engineering should be looked at. Yeah, so what side features for what type of data set for what type of model. the algorithm model that you use? Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Thanks, Rohan. So with this, we'll move on to the rapid fire round. So basically, we'll ask a few questions. Some of them may be a little funny, not funny, but you can be candid about it. So let's start at the rapid fire round for this particular podcast. Analytics Vidya or Kaggle competitions for beginners? Kaggle competitions. What are your top three algorithms for cal- classification? Algorithm, anything that works. <laughs> okay, I would what? say boost, logistic regression, dense neural networks. What cross-validation strategy works best for Kaggle? Either K-fold or uh, out-of-time sample. Most preferred online learning platform? Kaggle, any day. What three things do you look in a data science resume? Coding, uh, as in knowledge of coding, the variety of business problems, and any indication of self-work or personal projects. A most common mistake you make while creating dashboards? While creating dashboards. I often get the, I mix up the X and Y axis. An incredibly large number of times, even now. <laughs> I can relate to that very well. <laughs> yeah. If I had to give up one activity, what, what, which one would it be? Sudoku or data science? Data science. Okay, cool. Thank you for that. And so with this, we have come to the end of the rapid fire round. So now I wanted to shift gears to how you learn, Rohan. It will it, help our audience to pick up uh, this essential skill. Your, your learning journey began with Sudoku at the age of 19. How you do it every day in the field of uh, data science, right? Could you give us like what went into the learning, practicing, repeating this for several uh, other championships? And before every championship, there is something that you need to learn. And what was that process that sort of looked like when you're winning all of these uh, Sudoku competitions? So I would say I started learning in school. Everyone does in a way, mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, so if you really think about it, you have exams in school and uh, you have to prepare for them and you don't know what's going to be thrown at you. So you try to study and learn as many things as possible so that whatever comes in the exam, you're able to answer it and get the sort of best performance. Sudoku is very similar, right? So there are, you don't exactly know what kind of Sudoku or grid you're going to get, but you need to do a lot of practice preparation, you know, before going to the competition and you need to know the best, the best techniques or how to decide, you know, the approaches of different variations of Sudokus and so on. Again, the same in data science, right? So if you look at, let's say a Kaggle competition or any project you're working on, you don't really know what's the accuracy you're going to get, but you need to try the best amount of, you know, feature engineering, understand the data set, the problem statement, 
uh, figure out how how you're going to deploy it and within those constraints get the you know best model and the performance there so it's just so parallel preparation and learning and i think it can be extended to you know almost any activity or any task but right. uh, the sort of what's at the core or what's at the heart of it is doing as much amount of uh, preparation and practice as possible like the more you prepare the more the more you practice automatically you will be less surprised and you'll be able to do a better job absolutely uh, rohan so one part of the le- learning and training is that a lot of people get bored with that practice so imagine you're sitting in a room for 7 days before the competition and you you have to solve x number of times practice certain skills uh, on the fly and you you don't do certain skills sometimes you miss a step and all of that thing and so a lot of people find this process boring so what's going in your mind when you are doing like seven days away from it or let's say three days on one day away from it to to the preparation and continue going what's what's the mental framework for you to be behind that scenes and continue working yeah i think it's a lot of self motivation and i think it comes with experience of success and failure right so i think i've i've tried a lot of things in my life and i've seen you know success in a few i've seen failure in a few and i have that self motivation and that sort of confidence that okay if i put in so many hours of dedicated work then there is a very high chance of success it doesn't always happen but i mean we are all data science right <laughs> data scientists we, we know the math you right. put in you know significant amount of effort like almost like seven or eight times out of 10 it ha- it is going to work and it is going to give you the fruits so it's primarily just the sort of self motivation that i have and uh, that significantly helps me push myself to put in those let's say extra 3 hours or extra 4 hours of effort which let's say someone else may not do and uh, at the end of the day it it can matter and according to me it, it, it does matter right right so, so yeah, i mean if you have the the passion the determination and you're willing to you know, sacrifice other things and put in a lot of time it will show it will show it's like this for every one extra hour you put a lot many people did not put that and hence that consistency of uh, wedding put in x extra hours it could be so much more yes. <laughs> correct absolutely okay thanks for sharing that learning part of it rohan and i i'm sure the audience has a lot to take away from the learning process and the motivation process it looks ugly it looks boring but like you have to keep going there is no other way around it okay so rohan i just wanted to ask uh, like one more question before we end this podcast so if you had to master building end to end ml application in 3 months like with no background whatsoever about data science python or whatever it is right whatever tools we use how he he should go about it you can mention some courses or resources that would help them in their journey right both paid and unpaid free or whatever it is but the idea goal here is that within 3 months the person should be able to speak you know, pick up building end to end ml applications so obviously if if the expectation is to become an expert in 3 months it's not possible it's just not possible 
But I think what's really possible is um, to have enough experience and expertise for you to uh, convert those, you know, three months of knowledge into, let's say, a path or a, a direction to become an expert. And the approach I would say is spend as much time as possible in reading and understanding the core concepts and basics of data science. That, that's what fo forms, that's the crux of this whole field. Right, so let me give you a very small example. I think a large majority of people today, let's say in machine learning, they know how, let's say, to run an XGBoost model or a random forest model, but they will not be able to explain how the model works. Right, so my general, I keep telling people, don't be the, this kind of person, right? Like go into the depths of exactly how a random forest works. Right, really understand the basics of whether it's data processing, whether it's data manipulation, whether it's how pandas works, whether it's how XGBoost works, whether it's understanding what makes, let's say, a real-time deployment versus, let's say, a batch scoring or, you know, what is the core underlying concepts of all of these and as much of this knowledge that you can grasp and understand in those three months. I think that should be the real focus and not really whether you can, if you really think about it, what is there in, you know, running an XGBoost, it's importing a library, it's doing dot fit, dot predict, it's three lines, four lines of code. You can do it in 48 hours. Right? That's really not uh, going to make you a good data scientist. Right? So I think having that mindset and that approach, and then let's say figuring out a good problem statement where you can apply this and build something in those three months that you can showcase. I think that is of tremendous value. And that would be like my very strong suggestion. Absolutely. And what about the parts of convincing about it to stakeholders, stakeholder management and presenting your own ideas and getting that by yes 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 so, so when when i talk about understanding business and understanding data it's it's exactly this right so even i have faced and you'll be surprised so maybe just to give some numbers uh, i recently uh, shared this on twitter as well so i think if i remember right i've worked on about 150 data science problems uh, in my career but uh, let's say 50 of them would be let's say in a company or uh, for a company the others would be like let's say competitions or hackathons now out of these uh, 50 data science projects i've successfully built the pipeline and got an end-to-end -end working of maybe 20 of them and out of those 20 about eight or nine were like really successful and if, if you someone asks me that you know why from 50 it went down to nine from 50 to 20 the challenge has been on the deployment and the productionizing piece. Sometimes it's just very hard or it's not possible to deploy it the way you want. Or maybe at sometimes I didn't even think about it the right way. And then it's and the other gap, which is it's a from the 20 to eight or nine, which was successful. It's precisely this, which is getting the business people to understand and accept you know, why this particular model or this project makes sense. And 
as business people they don't understand data science or machine learning they don't care whether you know you use let's say a deep neural network or you use an xg boost they care about the business metrics how much value you are adding to the business at the end of the day that is what really matters like how much yeah. did you save or how much did you get in <laughs> yes exactly at the end of the day it's as black and white as that <laughs> absolutely thanks for uh, sharing this rohan the entire process and it's as real and as um, difficult as it gets but there's no other way to see a lot of failures in this field more than anybody could think that yeah we, we see a lot of ambiguity and a lot of failures at the same time and yet we are happy doing it thanks uh, rohan for uh, you know coming on podcast and sharing your journey on the learnings on the kaggle i personally have a lot to take away